This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Studios in Southern California, and of course, Dennis Bernstein, all the way up in Canada. DB, you ready to bang out another show today? Yeah, Jay, I have about uh, four days left. We're recording this on, I think, a Sunday. So, yeah, four days left, though. There's going to be a big time rager on Friday night if you come up to Edmonton. Um, I'll pass. Me getting released from custom, and you'll pass on that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, fine. We got the Cactus Club. I think that's the one point that's a pretty decent joint. But yeah, we have four more days. Uh, we're. we're, we're Enjoying as best we can. You know, NFL football is coming back today, so that's a little bit of a distraction. And then we got uh, Islanders in Tampa tonight. So, but, but ready to do another episode with you, bud. Well, I do want to apologize for recording on a Sunday during NFL kickoff weekend. But see, my team doesn't play till Monday night, so I wasn't really registering. <laughs> but the fact that there would be football games on today, although I am highly interested in the Bills and the Jets, so we'll we'll see how that yeah. goes. Uh, and my Rams are playing in the afternoon, so we're good. Okay, and are they playing? Is that at the new stadium yet, or that's not for a yeah, couple weeks? Great. Breaking my heart. They're playing at SoFi tonight. Today, that, tonight. That, yeah, tonight. That, it's uh, the Sunday night game. So I guess they play at four. I think we're four or five. Five, but, I uh, think. That yeah. stadium is just, just amazing. And it's breaking my heart. But you know, a lot of things are breaking our hearts these days. So, but uh, yeah, let's do another episode. Yeah, but. get over it, would you? Like that's just, that's twenty twenty. Broke my heart. Now I'm over it. <laughs> okay, that's good. true. I know, right? I have no expectations. Twenty twenty. Come on. <laughs> It's just the dumpster fire of a year. Uh, I was talking the other day with somebody, and we were just talking about days, and I was like, there's no such thing. The days are not named anymore. It's not like Monday right. or Tuesday. It's just day. Everything is day. Right. Today, You're right, yesterday. John. Everything it, is a blur. It just all runs together. It's all a blur, my friend. Uh, so for this episode, we're going to bring in, uh, in the second period, the new head coach of the Ontario Reign. He was recently hired, a uh, story broken on uh, Mayor's Manor earlier this summer or off-season, or I don't even know what it is anymore. 
someday. <laughs> someday. Some, some recent day. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about Sean Walker. On the last episode, yeah. we spoke about his contract, and uh, we were looking at maybe a three- or four-year deal, and we went over some of the reasons for a four-year contract at this point, trying to buy down some of the uh, free agent years and also giving them some cap certainty. So just wanted to get your immediate reaction to Sean Walker coming in on a four-year deal. Well, it's exactly what we said, John, right? I mean, three or four years between two and a half and three million. So it went, what, 265 AAV. Um, hey, look, the guy earned a spot. Uh, undrafted free agent comes in and, and does the job. And so, yeah, they, and it's a, at a nice price. So it's all, I think it met all the expectations. And it shows that, you know, whether you're drafted first or, or, or not drafted at all. And that's what Todd said, you know, early in the season. Um, when we were talking with him after one of the games, he goes, I don't care when you drafted. Like, can you produce? And he produced for the team. A nice fit, nice offensive defenseman, which this team really needs. They need more for the blue line. So it's a good get. And, again, you could control a player for four years. I think that's just, uh, a big win for Blake in the organization. Yeah, and if you look at the contract and you break it down, DB, it's $2 million on year one, and then it goes to two point yeah. two five, then it goes to 3 then it goes to 3.35. So even in the out years, as you start to get away from the flat cap era, hopefully, fingers crossed, as you start yeah. to get in those out years, you're still talking about a guy who's at a three three $3.35 million deal, which gives them flexibility uh, you know, with, with the cap dollars that'll be coming in to be yeah. able to spend on some other stuff, uh, on some other guys. And, and nobody has any delusions of grandeur. Sean Walker's not going to be a first-pairing defenseman. So you start Correct. to figure out where he slots in. And at that price, that seems pretty reasonable. And, and like you said... It doesn't really matter where you're drafted, right? And, and that's, it's kind of weird to say that as we build up to just about three-plus weeks away now from the NHL draft. Everyone's going to be talking about which guy's going in the first round, the second round, here and there. But if you talk to scouts, if you talk to guys in development, they'll often tell you the most important day is the day after the draft because that's really when your career begins. It's not everything that you do leading up to the draft. That stuff is certainly important. It does help position you, and it does give you more opportunities and more chances, right? A guy like Derek Forbert is going to be allowed a lot more chances and opportunity. He's even going to be protected in the expansion draft by the Kings, largely because he's a first-round draft pick. He's, he's a homegrown talent over a guy like Braden McNabb, who they get via a trade. So being drafted early matters to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, the, the, the hardest day, the real day, is the next day after the draft because that's when you decide to start dedicating yourself to being a professional player in the near future, if not immediately. And the amount of work that you put in that's that's where ultimately is going to determine you know whether you play or whether you don't play. And you look at a guy like Sean Walker, undrafted, coming out of uh, college, and uh, he's he's making a nice career for himself. He does, and you mentioned you know not only do you, look if you're featured when you're drafted high, but there's also so much more pressure for on sure. your first or second round pick, right? That, and that's the, can you handle the pressure again? These are 17, 18 year old kids, and you know Sean Walker was a, you know older because he was a a college player, so there was really no pressure on him. He just went in and went balls to the wall and, and found a spot on a team that was still, you know, re, you know, recreating itself. And, yeah, congr- it just it's a great uh, success story to players who maybe aren't the biggest or the fastest, that you can still get into the league, find a, a spot, and make a decent career out of it. I mean, getting paid $3 million, If I told Sean in his sophomore year in college, oh, yeah, you'll be playing for the L.A. Kings in three, four years and making $3 million a year on a long-term contract. You're like, where do I sign and why, what drugs are you taking? So I think that's a, a great success story to set that, you know, not only can you get to the NHL via high drafting and your skills, but if you have determination and, and some skill in the plot, you can make a, sell, make a goal of it. And one other little footnote here, DB, related to this before we move on, and that is, 
it also speaks to why we report at times players that sign and come in and play with the Ontario Reign. Sometimes an undrafted player who comes out of college or even comes out of junior, people are like, why do you care? That doesn't even matter. Why, why are you reporting that? Or why should we even care about that? Well, here's the reason why. Nobody knew who Sean this Walker was. Nobody knew who Matt Luff was. Uh, right. You know, two undrafted players, they, they show up, they're, they're playing, and through their play in the American League, they're able to earn their way into the NHL. So it does matter. It is important. And some of those names, absolutely. Some of those names that, that get signed to those AHL-only contracts, you'll never hear from again. Many of them, if not most yeah. of them, uh, at the NHL level. But, you know, every once in a while, these guys do slip through. Guys like Luff, guys like uh, Sean Walker. So it is important, and that's why you pay attention, people. So yeah. read yep. more, tweet less. Yeah, it's a 23-man roster. It's a flat cap. You're going to need players at the lower level. It's not all about the glamour guys like Turcotte or um, or Velarde or Byfield or Stutzley. It, it's guys like Sean Walker and Luff that you need on this team in this era uh, to build the roster. Glamour guys. I love it. Well, that'll be the, the new trademark. We'll have to hashtag that. Glamour guys. Every time we tweet out about Turcotte, I'm sure he'll love that. Speaking of Turcotte, uh, DB, his former coach with the U.S. National Program is right on the other side of the break. Let's take a, a, a quick pause here. And on the other side, the new coach of the AHL Ontario Reign, John Robleski. Welcome back, second period, and our guest this time around, the brand new head coach of the Ontario Reign, John Robleski. Robo, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Uh, great to be on. Well, uh, first off, look, we've obviously done a lot of research on you uh, because that's just what we do here. Uh, I had already done a bunch of research on you before we broke the story that you'd be coming to Ontario uh, several weeks ago. I don't know. Maybe it was a month ago. Time is irrelevant uh, in the new world. But my, my first question, though, is just uh, what type of research did you do on us? Did you do any? Do you know what you're in for today? <laughs> I did. I did a little bit. Uh, but, you know, you guys are, are quite thorough and um, I did happen. I got that article uh, sent to me, or the the tweet sent to me that uh, that you guys did break that I was going to be offered the job for the for the rain from a couple of friends. So um, I, at that point, it was it was hard to not just start scrolling through your your Twitter bio and your Twitter page. So. <laughs> All right, so we'll take that then. That's a good start then. Um, why don't we, I have a bunch of players to ask you about. DB has some, some questions as well, but let's just start with the process. Just sort of give us the overview. So obviously the, the whole hockey world shut down. So the national program was no different than the rest of the world. The program shut down um, back at the early part of the year. And then just walk us through as best you can sort of the process. Who reached out to you first? Was it Richard Seeley? Was it Muzzin? Was it, I'm not Muzzin, I'm sorry. Muzz is his nickname. Uh, Glenn Murray, uh, or, you know, did, how did the process sort of begin and at what point did you finally eventually connect with Rob Blake? And just t tell us a, a little bit of the background of how it came to be. Well, it was, uh, yeah, it, after, after the, the announcement um, that they weren't going to go with Mike, um, it was, it was obviously quite a, uh, you know, I, I, I single, singled out this job, um, a long time ago as one that would be just an unbelievable opportunity, uh, if it ever did come up, you know, just with having the, the proximity of the Kings working in conjunction, of course, the, 
the prospect pool that they've they've collected. Um, and once once uh, it was announced that there was an opening, and uh, I actually worked with uh, I worked with a, an agent, and uh, he had me send my resume over to uh, to Rich Sealy. And then that was in, in early June, and uh, I got a text from Rich. Uh, it was the next Wednesday, and um, the ball just started rolling. Hey, can you get on a phone call with with Muzz and uh, and I? And um, you know, every it was about every three weeks for for two months, um, two and a half, three weeks uh, that we would we would connect for another another round of uh, of interviews. There's probably oh, oh gosh, I got to say about five, six six different rounds that, that, uh, that I went through, uh, formally, um, in, in the process. So it was, it was, it was very in depth. Uh, I thought that it was very thorough and, and very professional and, um, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a big challenge too. Like it, it was a long process to, to try to, uh, you know, make sure that you, that you were at the front of their, their thoughts, hopefully, um, even when you weren't, um, under the, under the gun in the interview process, while they were going through other people, you were still maybe dropping a, dropping a text or email here or there, uh, to try to make sure that you're, you were still at the, at the front of their, 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 their thought process. And, uh, you know, it ended up coming to fruition there about a few weeks ago. Let's talk about maybe the 24 hours right before you found out. So I guess, first off, how did you find out? Was it, was it rich that called you? Would somebody else call you? Was it a text? How did that happen? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a zoom call or a team call with, with the entire uh, brass. So uh, Mr. Robitaille and Blake were on the call and Nelson Emerson and Muzz uh, and Rich were all on the call. And they, uh, it was a, it was a breakdown, uh, a final breakdown of, of how we lined up. Um, and then, and then the, the formal offer came during that, uh, during that call. Okay, so just prior to getting the the email or the text that you need to jump on that Zoom call and that call is getting scheduled, in the twenty four hours prior to that, where where was your head at? Were you were you ninety five percent confident that you were going to be getting the job? Were you fifty fifty? Were you still thinking it was a hail mary? Just where was your headspace leading up to that that moment? Well, you're confident at that point. Um, once once you look at the at the team's invite and you see that uh, that Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake are joining it as well, and Rob had been on a, on a, a call before as well, but once once you saw uh, Luke Robitaille on the on the email, I think that that was you you started to get excited, but you also you also it wouldn't have surprised you the professionalism they displayed throughout that if it was a call to say we really respected everything that you did in this process. Thank you for your time. And but we're just going to go a different direction. I wouldn't have, I, I, I that was, that also went through my, my mind too, just because of the professionalism they exhibited that they might, they might take that, that step too. So. Coach, when uh, Rob decided to move on from Mike Stubbers, he said he needed more developed mental coach. So for the layman, for the fans, like how do you define a more developmental coach? Is it working on skills? What in your toolbox is going to be different than your predecessor. I'm not sure um, what you know how how Mike ran things, but what I can say, my I think I think the the idea of developmental coach really um, in my brain refers to practices, just how how you practice, um, what you work on in practice, and and then you know what you do um, post practice as well. So I think that. Once you get to the American League level, it's uh, it, in really you know any level of junior hockey and above, you, you, it's hard to find coaches that that uh, that don't know their X's and O's. Um, you, everybody's pretty up to date with the computer, uh, advanced computer 
systems we have to break games down and to study film and things like that. So it's hard to find a, a, a systematic uh, flaw in a lot of teams. But what what I can say is that different teams run their practices, uh, and I, and how we how we operate um, at the program is it's you know it, it really revolves around small numbers um, at all times, uh, lots of competition. Um, and ultimately, it's, it's about developing the individual to make them uh, faster and more creative, more powerful. That's kind of the mantra that, that I, I ran with my practices um, since becoming head coach, uh, really at every level, becoming a head coach. I learned it at the program and carried it with me when I was the head coach in the East Coast League uh, in, into the USHL and then back at the program. And so um, it's about making the, the player better, faster, stronger, more creative. And uh, every, what I can say is with practices, it's that, that to me is what coaching is all about. That's where you can make your players a lot better. And I, I take that, uh, that hour and 15 that you usually have with the players on the ice, uh, roughly. I, I take that um, very seriously. And I have a very, uh, I've, got a, I've got a light side to me. I like to, I like to have a good time. I like to, like to joke around. But for that hour and 15 minutes, it's all business. And it's structured and it's, uh, you know, it, the time and the details, uh, they all have to be right. Uh, I don't, that's my, my personality. Just, uh, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed in a lot of facets of my life, but for some reason, uh, when it comes to hockey and particularly hockey practices, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious when it comes, when it comes to it. And uh, I think that that is development is a, um, is certainly a vague term, but I, I do believe it refers to, uh, the practice schedule and the and the way that the way that we that we practice the program the way that I run run my teams is is the reason that uh, ultimately that um, things worked out with the rain. All right, coach. I'm happy to hear that you like to have a good time because we certainly like to have fun uh, not only here on the podcast but also on Mayor's Manor. I'm also happy to find out that you did some research on me. That's good. Uh, and in that research, hopefully, you came across the fact that I'm a big Mike Stuthers guy. So this is going to be uh, we're going to have to spend some time and, and nurture our relationship along. We're not just jumping right in. I mean, you come with a great resume. I, I'm I'm happy that you come with a great resume, and I'm confident that. Uh, that, that everybody, including Rich and 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 uh, and Muzz and and Blakey, everybody did their research on you. But uh, it, we're gonna have to start out slow and build to build to having a relationship. I'm just letting you know up front. I'm an upfront guy. You're very very transparent. The jury is still out. I I would have it no other way. Okay. All right. So um, let's get back to you. I do want to talk about the ECHL and, and Gwinnett and some other fun stuff. But um, I, one thing that I remember, I think from the, uh, it might have been from the media call when you were introduced. You have roots here in Southern California, right? Well, yeah, actually, a bunch of my uh, a collection of my college friends, guys that I didn't play hockey with, but um, guys that uh, just just met at school. One of them was from Pasadena, and he recruited uh, a group of guys to move out to Manhattan Beach after college, and they never left. So they're all still, still in the South Bay. A couple are up up in uh, are up in LA now, but um, looking at moving back. One of them's looking at moving back to Palos Verdes. So I used to go out. Um, in since 2000 and really 2006 2005 i'd been going out um pretty much every every summer um and and living uh living in the south bay so um at least for a couple weeks so i've got i got quite quite a quite familiar with the area and we actually when we when we rented our house um we didn't even we we did it sight unseen because we we knew the neighborhood and we knew exactly where we were going so fantastic um, yeah, so it's a good, real good setup. I got a, a, a nice, you know, obviously the 
the structure, the infrastructure within the Kings is is tremendous, and they I've already developed a really good relationship with the with the staff. Uh, but uh, you know, having having some people outside of hockey to be able to you know lean on for for little things like daycare and, and stuff like that, or uh, it's pretty pretty cool. And they're my best they're my best buddies. I text them every day, so um, it's really really neat to be able to kind of reunite out there. Well, you can reach out to Nicole Brown. She's running a daycare already with four kids, so I'm sure that adding a couple more wouldn't be a wouldn't be a problem. Um, you only have one, though, right? Every day, I love that. You only have one kid, though, right? Yeah, Rory. He just turned 16 months. Beautiful, outstanding. When you guys um, when you guys first got back to town, uh, did you have to hit up the local eateries? Did you have to do the you know the normal thing, go to In and Out, or maybe you went to Big Mike's over in El Segundo? What'd you do? No, it's uh, we haven't been in town yet, but my 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 first stop will be Simsy's, I would say, and I'm an Ant Beach beer, so that's kind of kind of the place that I've always uh, always gone back to and uh, with, with my buddies, and then maybe maybe stop in over at North End for for maybe just one. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, that's not a good, oh boy. you're not off to a good start. Uh, you can carpool with Matt Green, perhaps he'll he'll help you get over there if you, if you lose the address. Um, Akil Thomas. Now, just to bring it back to hockey, let's get serious uh, for a moment. Akil Thomas is is back in town now. Um, I, obviously, you have a relationship with Turcotte, and there might be a couple of other players that you've known or, or been around or seen through the program. But I would imagine that you don't know Akil Thomas uh, very much at all, if at all. Um, have you had a chance to connect with him? He's going to be one your forwards this year no i, I haven't uh, haven't connected with with the players yet uh, i did i did give sutter a call just to start that relationship but i also would um you know it's, it's a little premature to introduce myself to uh to some of those guys i think that you know they're a lot of their focus is to to try to impact the kings as much as they possibly can and i, I know that their reality is for for some of them that they're going to end up um, in ontario but i think we'll get to that uh to that you know to that point when when it's um you know when it's appropriate and i want those i would i would want those guys to focus on on their summer training and doing what they what they can to, to have the best showing to make the kings no coach you don't have to impress me as much as you have to press john first of all i have been to nina wisconsin birthplace wow year, so i've been up wow. there actually to the what? double tree on some business and um so my question to you though is like of all the ahl teams like this higher like you're being handed given the, the the level of prospects the kings have you're handed the keys to the ferrari like and so how much pressure are you but like the, the the future of the kings is resting with how you develop these prospects basically they have there's a core and still los angeles that won championships but everybody's pointing towards the system with all the rankings so how much pressure do you feel stepping into this job well first off how did you end up in nina I, I worked for this little company you may have heard called Red Bull. It's, uh, okay. While I was doing my media stuff, um, and Red Bull actually has a warehouse in Nina, Wisconsin, in the middle of a field somewhere. So I was doing some stops in Milwaukee, and, and I went up to Nina, and then that's how I arrived in Nina, Wisconsin, with all the um, mosquitoes in the middle of the summer. Tremendous! No, it's a great, great town. Uh, lots of good people, and a really nice downtown too. But uh, yep. it, back to back to the question, I, I think that. You know, do you feel the pressure? Of course, of course. And um, I think that you know, pressure is a good thing, and and it's an uh, it, it's an item that's earned as well. Um, and that's why you know it, you wake up you wake up daily with a purpose when you feel that pressure. And uh, and that's you know it's it's something that we have have had at a daily on a daily basis at USA Hockey as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any day. Um, 
that you that you would maybe be a little tired from say you got back from from Russia on a on a Monday night and uh, you've been traveling for over 24 hours and okay you got Tuesday well you got pressure to get up and 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 be good for your family on that Tuesday and then you got you got pressure to, to be to bring that the right energy on Wednesday for your players you know you're not going to go very long because you just you just traveled across mm-hmm. the world but you need to be your players need to feel that and and if you ever had to look you know, for inspiration, it's not far away. You had the USA crest on your shoulder, on, right on your chest every day, shoulder for every tracksuit, and and you had the responsibility of of developing, you know, hopefully the next number one draft pick, uh, Jack Hughes for, or, or number five, Alex Turcott. You know, you you had you had that pressure daily, and um, it's something that frankly I I relish and I and I love. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the same way about this job. It's not, it's not just showing up to, to coach a hockey team and hopefully, you know, we get some good draft picks and et cetera. This is, this is the real deal. Um, this is, this is really why you, why you want to coach in the American Hockey League is to have this opportunity. And, uh, I, you know, that pressure is great. It's, it's something that you just, you know, you, you work with and you hopefully thrive on. Coach, uh, obviously we're going to spend some time talking about Kings prospects, and although you you might not have relationships with some of them, uh, being at the national program uh, since twenty or the head coach there since twenty sixteen, you did have an opportunity to see a lot of the other kids that were in the uh, the USHL. So give us a couple of quick scouting reports. Mikey Anderson was at Waterloo before he went on to college. What do you remember about Mikey, if anything at all? Yeah, I, I do. We had a, we had a series with them in uh, in February, and our guys. Our guys were amped up and ready to go at that point. Um, it was it was uh, February or early March of uh, of their draft year for all those kids, and our guys were amped up and ready to go. And we put a we put a pretty good thumping on Waterloo that weekend. But I I was really impressed with Mikey. I love I love his poise, his versatility. Um, it, it just just rocks rocks solid and, and sturdy in all facets. You can you can put him out there in, in any situation, and he's just. He's just really good, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a great calling card for a defenseman is to just be really good. Um, and, uh, you know, there's sometimes you're looking for elite traits and, and things like that, but it's all, it's very, very important to have steady rock, steady defensemen who are sure handed can defend, um, stick to the system and, and are, you know, the character is the, is, I don't know Mike uh, it, it personally, but um, everyone who's dealt with them, the, the characters off the charts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've been we've been pumping his tires for quite some time. On the, the we do the prospect rankings every year for the Kings organization. It's kind of become, I, I would say, my calling card through the years. Uh, and and been telling anybody who will listen, Mikey Anderson will end up wearing a letter in Los Angeles at some point. Just a, a phenomenal player and and uh, made his NHL debut at the end of last season. And and therefore now people are, are kind of paying attention to him. But there's another guy similar, uh, certainly more intense, uh, but. Uh, Cole Holtz, who you should have in Ontario this year, he turned pro coming out of Penn State, but he played at Madison. What do you remember about Cole, if anything? I remember him. He the thing I remembered about about Cole and his teams um, struggled a little bit, but what I do remember about him is just he had he had a, a, an explosive presence about him. The mm-hmm. way that the way that he could he deliver a hit or you know his his slap shot, for instance, is one timer. Like there was just something about what you were like, you knew that there was an impressive athlete on the other side of the, of the sheet there. Um, and that's, I guess to me, you know, and it, it, it was maybe, maybe didn't come out, uh, you know, perfectly for him in the USHL, but 
it everything sort of tied together at Penn State for him. So I haven't seen him play recently, but I I do remember the athlete vividly. I remember it clearly how how impressive he was uh, just getting around the rink, delivering that big hit, ripping a flapper. Like I just remember remembered that um, about about Cole. Now, a couple other guys in the, in the system that you won't have in Ontario just yet, but um, Andre Lee, he's off at college now, but he played at Sioux Falls. Anything on Andre Lee? The Kings took him in the seventh round, and he's a big gangly guy, but uh, I was pretty impressed with, with his athletic ability when we had him at development camp, uh, or we saw him at development camp, I should say, last year. doesn't surprise me. He was uh, Gangly is, is a, a phrase. Uh, he hasn't grown into his body yet, I yeah. think it would have been a phrase, but um, still got around the sheet really well. It played abrasive and a, and a really solid skill set. I was happy for the kid. You know, I did obviously no ties to LA at the time. I was really happy for the kid to get drafted because I just I I thought it was a um, he was a really good player and and uh, you know somebody if they're, if the NHL playoffs have taught us um, well they they teach you they reaffirm things every year and you know it's just that 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 big power forward when they when they want to turn turn the game on and they want to they want to uh, make a difference those are the guys that that, at this time of the year um, in these series can 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 be those difference makers of course you've got you guys with the ultimate skill barzel and uh, as another example of a a different style player but those big fellas they they seem to really um they they seem to come come around this time of year and really are the ones that can dominate he had some nice soft hands in in tight also which was which was impressive um there's there's a defenseman Braden Doyle, he was at Dubuque uh, the last two seasons. He's going to be off to BU in the fall. I'm sure you've you've had a chance to, to see him up close and personal the last couple of years. Yeah, he was uh, he was at our tryout camp um, with the O1s as well, and and didn't didn't make the team. But he, uh, I really like his trajectory. Uh, and this last year in Dubuque, he was he was outstanding. His quarterbacking and uh, of the power play was was really really impressive and. Uh, just a lot, tons of deft little plays, great hockey IQ, the the, the vision, uh, the ability to find guys off the back post. It wasn't just like get the puck, run the middle, and shoot, or you know go back to the flank every time. Which is, you know, those are those are fine um, qualities as well for a, a PP guy. But he was he was really making some some deft plays at the top where he would slide it through guys, uh, you know, slide it through skates, even finding finding the middle guy in one three one or somebody off the back door it was. It, uh, Really impressive quarterbacking. Now, there's an undrafted player. Uh, he's eligible for this year's draft. I, I couldn't couldn't let you go today without asking him about him, just because the name itself is fantastic. Gunnar Wolf Fontaine. He's uh, out of the Chicago Steel. What do you know about this player? And let's hope the Kings draft him, just because I want to say that name over and over again. Gunnar Wolf Fontaine. It's fantastic. Yeah, he's been he's been passed over a couple times here in the draft, and um, I think I, I'm trying to remember if I coached against him two or three years now, and the reason that I don't remember if it's three years or not is because of the impact that he has in the games. You're just like, Oh my God, this guy, can you, can you just turn it off for a second? His shot is outstanding. He's got a cannon for a shot and he's, he's not a, he's not a big guy. Um, but the puck just explodes off his stick. He, he impacts the game positively every night. And I don't, I haven't watched, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you just kind of see that the highlight of a player, you know, I haven't watched his in depth. I'm sure the scouts, have all studied his game, you know, if there's a skating stride flaw or something like that. But uh, just from being on the opposite bench, he um, he's daunting. And you you knew in 13 was on the ice all the time because he, he, there were scoring chances and um, he just has cannon for a shot. 
Your coach, uh, with your time at USA Hockey, I just want to stay there for a second. Um, there's no doubt you've coached elite talent. Jack Hughes, Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcott. But it's a 20-man roster, and there's depth on every team. Um, are there one or two players that you can go back during your time at USA Hockey that when they came on board, they made the team and saying, okay, I'm not sure, but then exceeded your expectations, really developed into a player that you didn't think was uh, possible when you first saw him? Matt Boldy was probably the guy that, that mm-hmm. he, he goes, that's the, that's the, the, the face that pops into my head when you when you ask mm-hmm. that question. So when we took, when we took Matt at the trial camp, he was like 5'10", maybe 5'11", but no, definitely didn't get to six feet yet. And he was like 155 pounds. And you could, you could see, um you could see the, the, like the brilliance there, like, the things he could do with the puck, his vision, but you had no idea if it would develop, like if, if it would take mm-hmm. off. Like it did and now he's you know six one and a half, six two, and probably close to two hundred pounds. And and uh, you know as just as determined an athlete. Yeah, that's the other thing. You it's tough to see that until you get them in the ringer. Um, sure. Through the through the grind, and you know you have this, he's a quiet kid. Uh, from Boston, uh, when you first meet him, he's you know he's got this. He's a he's a thinker first, um, but once he gets out of his comfort zone, he he's an animal. And you didn't, but you didn't. You, it was tough to see that. You know, like you just saw this kid who looked he looked scared. He looked like he didn't know what was what. Um, you didn't know if he was homesick or whatever. And next thing you know, you get him on the ice, and he's it's just magic. And so he took off. He took off right away for us the program, but. When you um, when when we saw him at trial camp and when we got him when we got him to Plymouth, uh, you weren't sure if he was mm-hmm. if, if he if he was if he had it, but he he did. He let us know right away. He scored the first goal uh, of the of the uh, of the program for the that old one team. So he scored right away for us in the first period, of the first game, and never looked back. All right. So on the coaching side, back behind the bench, not only will Mike Stuthers not be back, uh, but also Yaroslav Modri will not be back in Ontario as a defensive coach. So there's an opening there for an assistant coach. Well, let's start with the obvious. Are, are, do you want to break any news today? Do you have that coach lined up yet? <laughs> uh, no, I, we, I do not want to break any news. Okay, today. so so here's what we're going to do. Then I'm going to throw some names at you, and we're just going to try to read between the lines, and we'll see if we can come up with anybody. Uh, Matt Odette, he played uh, in Fresno, and then, of course, he went on to become the coach in Seattle. He was an assistant coach, then the head coach. He's been coaching with guys like Matt Barzell, Shea Theodore. He also coached uh, Austin Strand, who will be uh, lining up for you on the blue line. Any thoughts on Matt Odette? Former roommate of mine, great guy. That's it. Okay. Uh, Pat, Patrick Foley uh, is another another guy that you should know pretty well. Um, he played with you uh, way back in the day with Team USA. He's also been linked to uh, Max Pacioretty, James Van Riemsdyk, other guys. He was an assistant with Harvard, also coached at Northeastern for a while. Any comments on Patrick Foley? Yeah, he's a, he's a state trooper in uh, Massachusetts. Okay, so he's not available then to be the assistant. He's a state trooper. He's good. He's locked in. He's employed. Okay, I guess I'll take that as a yes. You're hitting uh, the wall, John. Okay, uh, I am. I'm not getting anything. Uh, J.D. Forrest, here's a guy who uh, he played with he's you back well, on. well, man. He's what? Robo was prepped well. Yeah, was. Uh, yes, the Kings PR team has given you the proper proper uh, preparation. J.D. Forrest, here's a guy who uh, he played on Team USA. He was an assistant in Wilkes-Barre. Um, he developed uh, several players. Um, any Any thoughts on him? He's the head coach in Wilkes-Barre now. 
Okay. Uh, any anything else beyond that? Do you like him? Is you have a good relationship with him? Have you talked to him recently? Yeah, he's one of, he's one of my best friends. He, he got he got announced on Friday that he's the head coach for Wilkes. Ah, well, I missed that on Friday. Then my apologies. Well, then he's not coming to Ontario as the assistant. We'll scratch him off the list. Uh, we have two more names for you then. How about Brad Winchester? Um, he played with you back in the day at Team USA. He was an assistant coach in Wisconsin uh, for the 2018-19 season, which would have been just before, of course, Turcotte played there. But I'm assuming that along with Tony Granado and others, he would have been part of the, re- the recruiting process maybe for Turcotte. What do you know about Brad Winchester? Great buddy of mine. Um He's he's a happy uh, salesman in uh, in Madison, volunteering for the for the uh, Badgers. Okay, he's a salesman. So and he's he's there. Uh, Davis Drew Whiskey for Kings fans. He's also retired in that area. So maybe Brad and 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 uh, and Drew Whiskey are having lunch together. Um, what else do we have here? Um, Brady is it is it Lyson Ring Leeson Ring? He played uh, played for Fresno uh, back in 06, 07. He was an assistant coach in Atlanta as well. He's currently the head coach. I think uh, for a U.S. high school prep team, if I'm not mistaken, is that right? Yeah, I haven't talked to Brady in a, in a couple of years, actually. So, but great guy, really good, really good guy, good teammate. Okay, so we can scratch him off the list. What other names should we be paying attention to that aren't that aren't on the list? I think we should call this segment, John, the Robleski Wall. Shut <laughs> <laughs> you down. Yeah, five shoot, It's like a shootout. Five shootout oh, attempts. Oh, oh, for oh, five. five. I'm going to send Dwight King out next. Then uh, why not? We have nothing to lose at this point. Uh, okay, let's go. How about in Rochester? What can you tell us? Uh, op- Look, we'll go from one end of the extreme to the other. So when I think about Gwinnett, I always sort of just I'm fascinated by the attempts to get hockey going. Going in Georgia, in the greater Atlanta area. It's, it's been tried a number of times, hasn't really been successful. You were there, you were at Gwinnett. Now on the other side of the spectrum, you spent time in Rochester as well, and that's that's really a hockey town, I would I would like to, to think. Uh, and Braden McNabb, former Kings uh, player, was there with you in, in, in Rochester. But just maybe compare and contrast those two experiences, being in Gwinnett versus being in Rochester. Well, the uh, coaching in northern Atlanta was awesome. I actually lived there. Uh, downtown Atlanta so it was about 30 minutes outside the city uh door to door and uh had the reverse commute which was great and and there were there were actually the hockey fans um the people who come to the game you know as far as how much knowledge they had I'm not sure but they they did a great job of packing that arena um when I was there and um there were nights when there'd be a Saturday night game and this was the year before I got there when the Thrashers were still in town and uh, Gwinnett would out, out sell the, uh, out draw the Thrashers. There'd be, there'd be 10, 11,000 out in Gwinnett wow. and there's eight or nine at the, uh, at, at the downtown rink. Wait a so, minute. Wait, wait a minute. The ECHL was outdrawing the NHL 30 minutes away. That is correct, sir. Wow. So, I know. Now so, we know why the Thrashers have left. But by the way, Rob Koch, the Kings PR guy, he was with the Atlanta Thrashers, so he might have a bone to pick with you after this uh, after this airs. <laughs> well, you know, I I don't know if there'd be a bone to pick, but anyway. <laughs> um, and then you move up to you move up to uh, to Roch, and it was it, it was a great experience. You know, there was a not, the knowledge of the fans, um, the the devotion, and and how much they cared and. It was it was a little bit of a, a difference that way, you know. You went from um, being a, a big city, Atlanta, where you know you go to a grocery store and there, no one would care who you were or anything like that. And then you're in Rochester and you're you're running into people regularly who who recognize you, who want you know, um, even kind of like you know the old adage of 
get the power play going, you know, that type of stuff. Like you'd run into that though, in, in a place like Roch where, um, the people really cared and, uh, and it was, um, it was, we had a, we had a really, really good team. You mentioned Braden McNabb. We had, for, for about a month and a half, we were a, a wagon my first year, uh, there. We had an unbelievable decor. It was McNabb and Chad Riedel and, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen and Drew Bagnell, who's a really sturdy veteran defenseman. Mark Pissick uh, was on that decor, and um, we were we were really really tough to play against. And we then things kind of you know went. Sabers were obviously in a rebuild, and um, you know they started to trade guys off and stuff like that. So we we ended up struggling late in the year, but um, it was a it was a great experience. You know, seeing the the different levels. And I, I, that's something that I, I grew to really appreciate in the ECHL as well as like when you have that good team um, that you got to get, it's almost like a poker game where you got to get your chips in, you got to win games then. And uh, you got to really push to play well. And then, you know, then you got to shift your focus a little bit when, when things aren't as good, when player, when the big clubs hurt, you're hurt or, you know, there's, um, you know, things, things along that, that, that you just have to, your team morphs so, so often in, in those leagues, in the minor leagues. And so um, it's just, it's great experience and challenge to, to, uh, you know, to, to bring out the best of whatever group you have that day. Hey coach, you're in your thirties, but you're, you're coaching kids, a generation who, as we all know, are more skilled and not only that, more socially conscious, just a different breed of player at, at, 17, 18, 19. So, so what's your, how have you been able to connect with players, not just coaching them with respect to skills, just connecting, because this is all our business and every business basically is about relationships. So so how do you build relationships with the Turcots and the, the uses and the Caulfields um, over the last couple of years? What's, what's your secret sauce to connect to these players um, emotionally? I think it's, it's patience um, and, and a little bit of, and, and empathy, you know, trying to realize where these guys are at in their lives. Um, never, never forgetting what it was like to be that age. I, and it's, it's actually been very, it's, I don't want to say easy, but it, it has been um, something that's, it, it's come, it's come naturally to me with returning to the program as, uh, as an intern coach when I was 26 years old. And, in my start there, it was only, you know, only eight years that had passed since I was, since I was in their shoes. And mm-hmm. you just remember what it was like. And if, even if it wasn't you, what it was like for some of your teammates, you know, what they, what they were going through, uh, whether it was a problem at home or, you know, the, the rigors of, of school, the pressure that you didn't get your homework done and that carries to the rink. Uh, just remembering what it was like to be that age, I think is, is really, really, important and it, it was it was almost impossible not to be reminded of that when, when you're in the in this job you know you, even as you grow up like i see the years flying by here and you know i'm 39 now but it, it really doesn't feel like that when you're around those kids um sure. and particularly when you're around the game you know and that's that's the, that's kind of the the awesome thing about about sport and and coaching is that yeah um you know you might be a little bit older um but the players are going to be roughly uh, around that same age age group, you know, and uh, it's you're going to see this that same that same new player coming in, and um, you just have to be ready to adjust and, and know 
to try to be as in tune as possible with uh, with what what their what their challenges are and where what their mindset is and what you know what gets them what gets them going uh, at the rink and what gets them going away from the rink. You know, and that, those are all important things to tie together when you start talking about developing each individual. Yeah, following up on that, I remember Brian Burke on Sportsnet one night said that a past generation of players, you would just say like a soldier, go take that hill. Like no questions asked. This generation of players, and see if it resonates with you, they want to be told why that is important, why it strategically is important. So, so do players look to you to say, like, okay, I need you to do this, and they want further explanation, they want more detail on why we need to do certain things? I would say, I would say that that's been, that, that got people going a lot longer before um, this generation. If, if, you, if really? people were why they and they understood kind of the grassroots of, of uh, the motivation behind instruction. There was, and I remember vividly from other from other coaches I've had in the past when it was displayed or even and, and you know what it's it's much more akin. And I thought uh, one of one of my mentors, uh, John Hines, who's coached with the with the Predators, he it was the first time that watching him coach. Um, was the first time that it really looked like you were in school and mm-hmm. you were, you were in that, in that science class that you really enjoyed, or it was the, or the, uh, you know, the, the different, some class that you really, really enjoyed in school, the way that the teacher talked about it. You couldn't, you couldn't wait to get to that class as opposed to the other three that day. You know, it, you couldn't wait to do your homework for that teacher. Cause you was, it was, it was, a, it was just well instructed. And uh, I think that, that that's, that's how coaching should be. It's a, it's a, it's a mix between the heavy hand of, um, you know, of discipline and also uh, mixing in empathy and also trying to instruct and teach and engage your, your classroom for, uh, you know, for lack of a better, better phrase. So coach, we've talked a lot of hockey today, obviously, and thank you for your time. It's been, it's been a great 30 plus minutes. We've been able to spend with you a nice introduction to, to getting to know you and, uh, but away from the rink, you're also a music guy. From what I understand, you like Chris Cornell. So I'm just curious, a few favorite songs. Were you more of a Soundgarden guy, Audio Slave, Solo? What's your, what's your take on the whole Chris Cornell catalog? Well, it, this is one of my favorite concerts that I've ever, ever been to. It was um, back in 2009, and uh, Chris Cornell was at a theater in Ann Arbor, and he started off kind of with some, some of his solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he then acclimated into it turned into basically a, a metal concert at that point, and I just love the way that he kind of you know blends his uh, his the, the solos, the soft music, um, his voice is tremendous, but then he he can really rock too, mm-hmm. and I I love I mean to me I think that they kind he kind of he kind of hit it off with Audio Slave. I'm a, I'm a big you know, uh, coaches show me how to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those, those, but he can, he can break it down with, you know, a little like a stone and, um, a little more melody, but I, I'm, a, I, I love metal. I love all kinds of music, but I love the, I love my, uh, my Metallica and, um, Zeppelin's my favorite band of all time. They're, they're they kind of spread it around with that, all, all different genres, but, uh, um, Zeppelin's a little Cornell. before your time, Coach. I, how, how'd you how'd you end up becoming a Zeppelin fan? <laughs> you know, how how do you become so? It's it's an awesome story. I think 
I found a, uh, it was after a game and in this uh, tiny little arena in Wapaka, Wisconsin. And I found this, t- this little CD booklet uh, of, uh, and it was, it had like five discs in it and three of them were Led Zeppelin. And so <laughs> I just gotten a new, a new, a new CD player for Christmas. And I, decided hey i'm gonna try try this on for size here and i was uh i was in sixth grade and um plugged in the zeppelin and really never turned it off so that's kind of that's a, that was my intro to led zeppelin I'm, I'm gonna get blasted on twitter for saying this but i'm not a big led zeppelin guy i like certain certain uh, zeppelin songs okay but i just find that they go they go too far off the rails for me at times but the stuff that i do like i really really like so for example when the levees break great song fabulous song yeah uh, do you have a favorite yep. Zeppelin song, or or just not? You, you can't name one. So, oh yeah, it, 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 it would be impossible to name one if my if if my wedding song wasn't a whole lot of love. So, uh, the, that beginning is just unbelievable. So that's what we um, when we were introduced at our at our wedding after after the nuptials and everything else. So we came we came out to a whole lot of love, and that's so that's my favorite favorite Zeppelin song. But uh, I just gotta. You don't. You're not a big fan, but you like some of their songs. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Go go ahead. Give it to me. That's fine. Next episode, John will say he doesn't like the Beatles, and they were overrated. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't like the Beatles. I'm going to go out on the record right now. I don't. I'm not a Beatles. I'm a Rolling Stones guy. I'm not a Beatles guy. I'm a Sabbath guy. I'm not a Zeppelin guy. Uh, But um, we can agree on Metallica, and we can certainly agree on Cornell. Uh, Huge, huge fan of of his body of work, and and was you know privileged enough to see him in in all the different iterations. Uh, Saw him solo many times. Saw him with Soundgarden. Saw him with Audio Slave. Truly a loss. The three guys that were a real loss from the the musical generation, I think, over the last twenty years would have been uh, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, and then also, of course, Scott Weiland. So, uh, just uh, terrible to lose such such talented artists. Um, and they left behind great bodies of work that that I still listen to. You know, even to this day, I, I'm a I'm a huge music fan. Robo, you'll come to find out, but it's a, it's why it's a big part of the of the show. I like new music as well, new bands. Whether you're talking about guys like or bands like The Interrupters, or if you want to go old school, like I was mentioning earlier with Sabbath. So I'm all over the board. That's, hey, I, you. I would normally disagree with that opinion, but you, uh, the way that you said it. And the way that you you know verbalize it, I, it, it's hard not to respect it. So you can have everybody can have their own opinions on, on different things, it's, uh, especially if you got backup for the reason. So um, we'll just we'll just let it be what it is. <laughs> we'll let it simmer until next time, Coach. It's been fantastic. Really appreciate you jumping on here. Thanks. And apologies, I don't know if you're a football fan, but apologies for trying to record on a Sunday morning when uh, NFL weekend was kicking off. If that if that interrupted your your uh, football viewing, I do apologize. Uh, but do do appreciate you coming on and joining us on Kings of the Podcast. And I have a feeling that we're going to talk again uh, uh, somewhere down the road. <laughs> That sounds awesome. No, thank, thank you guys. Really, really uh, enjoyed the conversation as well. Great questions. And uh, I don't know. We'll see if I can maybe change your, change your mind on a few things. Hopefully the jury is uh, liberating at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm opinionated but open-minded, so I'll keep an open mind about this. There you go. John Robleski, Thanks, new Kirk. coach of the Ontario Reign. Uh, you'll be hearing more about him as development camp gets going. And at some point, the 2021 season starts to get going. We'll be back after the break with more Kings of the Podcast. If the sun refused to shine, I would still be loving you. The fountains crumbled to the 
the sea There would still be you and me Kind woman, I give you my heart Kind woman, nothing more Little drops of rain Whispers of the pain Tears in love lost in the days gone by I love you strong It's you there is no wrong Together we shall go until we die Inspiration is what you are to me Inspiration, look and see. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, third period, inaugural visit into the podcast from uh, John Robleski, Robo, of course, uh, the Ontario Rain coach, DB. There's a lot to unpack in that. I mean, we say that all the time when we have guests on for an extended run like that, but I mean, that was nearly 45 minutes with the new head coach, uh, we didn't just cover hockey. Of course, we covered music, and, and clearly he has opinions like I do, so this could be fun. But uh, what, were, what were some of your takeaways from that time period there with John? Fans, stay tuned to the next episode where John calls Elvis a ball. <laughs> no, um, I, I do like Elvis. All Shook Up is fantastic. Okay, great. Um, very articulate. You can see you know, how he connected to the, uh, the teenagers that played at the U.S. development team. And... Uh, Exactly. I just certainly is opinionated and explained his process. So, uh, and as I mentioned in one of the questions, John, this is a, a vital hire for this organization, right? I mean, he's being handed the keys to the Ferrari and he's got to develop these kids and there's a ton of them. So yeah, I just think that, uh, it, it's certainly what Blake and the organization wanted in the coach. And, you know, despite your, you know, your feelings for Mike Stones, I understand that, but, uh, you know, acquitted himself well. And, uh, I can't wait for those, post-game interviews between you and, and coach once Ontario gets rolling. Yeah, well, I can't. I just can't wait for hockey to return, regardless of who I'm talking to. I could talk to the new assistant coach, whoever that would be, and I'd be fine with that as well. I just want to I want to get back to the rink and, uh, you yep. know, f- freeze there in Ontario. It's one of the coldest buildings ever. Uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk to him about that. But for right now, he's living the high life. Uh, he's in He's in uh, the South Bay, and he's gonna, he's going to be hanging out at uh, – what is it? TSPC now, not TSC anymore. No longer Health South either, DB. You need to update your records, right, by sure. the way. <laughs> I, I will. I promise. Okay. Good, good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we covered a lot of ground. Um, I, I was hoping to get a little bit more What'd into... What do you think, John? What's that? What do you think? I, I thought they were very thoughtful answers, and I can see why uh, the King's Brass gravitated towards him. I can see why he was mm-hmm. hired. Um, he, he's thorough. Uh, in his answers, it's not all coach speak. Um, it wasn't just cliches. He was, he was. I thought there was some some breadth and some some depth to to what he was saying, some insight into what he was saying uh, when we started right. talking hockey. And and you know, um, assuming that the things that he was saying are true, and I have no reason not to you know think that they are. So people don't don't tweet me with your nonsense. But um, right. it, the parts about you know, look uh, that hour and fifteen minutes. It's a very serious time. Um, you know, that's what you need. You you need somebody who understands the importance of practice and that it is uh, reins things in. And you have to have different sort of moods, uh, if you will, right. right? So you have to be lighthearted in one sense, and then you have to be serious in, in another environment. And so he was talking about the importance of that. 
I think the one thing that he didn't touch on, and this isn't a criticism, it's just I was going through my head while we were talking, on the development mm-hmm. side, the development of the LA Kings prospects is not just a task that uh, rests with the head coach of Ontario. It, it wasn't something that was solely the responsibility of Mike Studders any more so than it's solely going to be the responsibility of Robo going forward. The Kings have a, a rock solid, one of the best development staffs in the NHL. Mm-hmm. If you talk to people connected to the league, um, you know, you, you the, it's it's a lot of guys from Craig Johnson to Mike Donnelly and Jared Stoll and so on. A lot of former NHL players and of course um, OC connected. You know, so much to this as well. And he's been with you know in the world of hockey forever. So um, there, there's much more to the development of the players than just what he brings to the table. But he does have to bring something because he is responsible as the head coach, especially on a game perspective, for the development of these guys and making them NHL ready. And I think that's something that yeah. maybe. Maybe on the next episode we can talk more about um, uh, with him. That is um, getting guys NHL ready. So Alex, I'm sorry, fans. Alex Turcott is not going to be in the LA Kings lineup on opening night. He's just not. And you right. have to be patient. Right. He he spent one year in college. This isn't a guy who spent four years in college or three or four years in junior and is really ready for prime time. He's one year away from the draft. He's going to need to spend some time developing, to use that word again, at the American League level to get ready. But when is he going to be ready? It's, uh, you know, is it is it six months? Uh, is he going to get a cup of coffee at the end of his first year? Is it two years in the American League? When will he be ready? And what's the process to get him ready? Yeah. And I'll imagine this is the third organization he's been in for years, right? He's in the development team, then he went to Wisconsin, and now he's in the Kings organization, and he's still a teenager. So you have to acclimate. This is not a 27-year-old player that you know can jump from organization to organization. So it does take time. Have patience. And you look at on the flip side, you look at a guy like Akil Thomas, who potentially could be maybe more ready. Uh, you look at right. you know his time in Niagara, and of course he was traded towards the end there. But his time in Niagara, and then his time with Team Canada as well. Um, and physically, I can tell you, he's just in phenomenal shape. I, I mentioned that last year when Akil Thomas came into camp, just the change that he went through versus the prior year. I can't even imagine seeing him again this year in the kind of shape that he's going to be in. Um, so you have guys like that, and Cole Holtz, who we talked about, he knows uh, from USHL time. Cole Holtz at, at Penn State. Uh, this guy is intense. This guy is ready to go. Um, not that he's going to make the lineup you know fresh fresh out of camp but uh i don't see cole holt spending a tremendous amount of time in the american league uh over the next couple of years i could i could certainly see him uh on a a little bit of a fast track to the nhl maybe not quite as fast as a mikey anderson but it wouldn't totally surprise me um so look there's a lot to like in ontario right now we've talked about this over and over db you look at the, the the volume uh, and, and you know, sort of the, the talent level that's coming to Ontario, not just the players that we've mentioned, but so many more, whether you're talking about goaltenders, you know, on, on down the line. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of exciting things coming to Ontario right now. So no wonder why the coach circled this team on his list and talked to his agent and yep. said, hey, I want to come to Ontario. <laughs> First of all, who doesn't want to be in Southern California? And second of all, you look at that, that roster of players that's coming not only this year, but even over the next two or three years, there's a lot to be excited about if you're the new coach of the Ontario Reign. Agreed. So, DB, is it going to be enough to get you to Ontario? To see the interaction between you and Robo, <laughs> um, off the bat, might, might depend. Depends okay. how the traffic is on the on the sixty. All right, um, well, we're going to get you. Uh, we're going to get you an Uber in, in an express lane. You no, know we need to. Do? We need to get a, a sponsor from a helicopter company. They can just pick me up in Encino and. 
Okay. And uh, fly, fly me over to Ontario. I'm going to have to work on that in, in the next couple of weeks. All right. So you work on D- – DB, you don't have a lot to do. You're in quarantine for another four days. So can you work on that helicopter sponsorship? That would be – I'm going to work on that. Okay. Yeah. You, you get back to me and let me know. Good luck to, with your party coming up on Friday night, the uh, the release <laughs> from quarantine. And uh, we, we look forward to doing some, some more shows with you while you're up there at Edmonton during the cup final. I'm still all in on the Tampa versus Dallas – cup final uh we'll end with that db do you have any thoughts a- about uh how that's going to end up yet is it yeah, going to be dallas think, and tampa i don't think vegas vegas can't score to save their lives and i think a lot of kings fans are happy that vegas won't be in the final so although they will they are finding themselves rooting for Corey perry and joe pavelski which i'm sure is, <laughs> is weird but yeah i think that's where it's turning you know, is that a thing though, DB? Down. Is that is that true? Like, I don't. I guess I'm not plugged in enough to find this out. Did Kings fans are upset about if, if Vegas makes it to the final? Yeah, we should we should do a poll on Twitter. Yeah, okay. I, I think that Kings fans would be upset if Vegas gets it, but I think that's. Well, we can argue that the robbery now it's mitigated by the fact that Alec Martinez is on there, so it's. it's I think that's mitigated a little bit, but I do think that yeah, because you see I, Vegas I as that, a rival of the Kings. Yeah, because remember, go back to the press. Remember, there were Vegas people in the building when they got swept. And I think Kings fans really didn't like that because they considered them front runners and things of that nature. Now, the funny thing is, Vegas is down 3-1. My buddy Mitch Masters on Beeson is, okay, hey, well, it, it was a cocky town until uh, today when, uh, you know, the Las right. Vegas Raiders stopped playing. So, good luck. So, uh, yeah, I do think that Kings fans, in, in, in a majority of them, do not want to see Vegas do well, do not want to see them win a cup. I okay. think they would much prefer Dallas, although that would mean Corey Perry would win a cup, so I'm not sure. But, yeah, um, but we can pull the fans and see yeah. what they think. I, I would agree with you that they would probably rather see Dallas than Vegas. I, I just You're the second person to mention it to me this week. Boomer mentioned it the other day as well, that, that Kings fans have a bunch of angst you know, towards towards Vegas. I don't. It's an expansion team. I don't mm-hmm. know. I know. I know they made it you know, the first year, but I just think that if you're a, a longtime Kings fan, you're, maybe I'm wrong, your, your, your hatred would be rooted in uh, Anaheim and San Jose. But I guess, I mean, yeah, Vegas has had more success than us. Yeah, I, yeah, but you beat those teams on the way to the cup. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, that's true. That's true. And yeah, Vegas sure. did. Vegas did, of course, sweep the Kings a couple years ago in the playoffs. So there's that. Okay, so uh, Dallas, and then what about on the the eastern side? I know the Islanders. You know, they really they really showed something. They're uh, coming back. They did well. Look, it, 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 the health of Braden Point is key here. If Braden Point is healthy, he's going to play in Game Four. They're, they're the best. The Islanders played better. They're not the better team. Mm-hmm. Right? I just think this is Tampa's year, John. And that's saying a lot considering that Steven Samkos won't play. I mean, what do you do with Steven Samkos now if you win a cup? I, I just think it's Tampa's year. I just think that it was Kucherov who, you know, is, is, is quietly a dirty player when you watch him play. And he, you know, he's flashing guys on open net goal, empty net goals. Victor Hedman's been fantastic. And Vasilevsky is a top three goaltender. I, I, John, I just think this is their year. You never I seem to mention the, my guy, though, DB. Whenever, whenever you run down... Uh, Pat Maroon. I'm a big Pat Maroon guy. I like. I like oh, you know. Yeah, I like John, Pat Maroon. Here's what they did. They knew they needed more sandpaper, more veteran presence. So they went out and got Maroon uh, at the beginning of the season, and then a trade for Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman. It gave that team a fat because you can't just skate around being fancy and trying to win games five and one. Like Breezebaugh knew that. Um, that's why he was up for GM of the year. Lou Lamarello got it. Colorado but, but does not aspect, know that yet. Not yet, no. That aspect they've added to this team makes them much tougher to play in the playoffs and why I think it's their year. 
All right, so it could be Tampa against Dallas, and we'll have a lot to talk about as we lead forward. But uh, just another another fantastic episode. DB, enjoy the rest of quarantine. Four more days to go, my friend, and you're free to get out, uh, get out of jail free card. So enjoy it. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. And uh, thanks to everybody for tuning into this episode of Kings of the Podcast. We'll talk to you guys real soon. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG. Open makes more possible.